We're not doing principles. Um, and the principles are scripture, justification. I know my handwriting is horrible. Just sorry. Sanctification. And for RYM, glorification, which I appreciate. There's this silly little battle within RUF. Is glorification original? Like, I don't care. Okay? It is for RYM. Okay? So it's kind of a silly, it's a funny argument. Um, I think it's funny. So, RUF principles. They are the motivation and the motor of our ministries. So our presuppositions are the roots that kind of that inform everything. It's how we like grow. It's how we it's how we process everything. It's like a lens through which we look at everything. The, the principles are are the motor. They're what we're doing with students all the time. It's what we're emphasizing in ministry. This brings about tons of clarity. Is that the tree? Sweet. Yeah, give me a second. Thanks, dude. It's not looking right. Um, so, what brings about this? What brings about the fruit? Someone who has been informed from the presuppositions, using the principles, which is just a summary of the gospel, and then the Spirit uses this work. As we're, bring, as we're doing the principles, he brings about the fruit and the goals. Um, this is a great sort of concise definition when it comes to principles. The Holy Spirit works by his word in the heart. And so the, these principles are just a summation of what we emphasize. There are other things in the Christian life that you can emphasize, but this is the core of what we think how people grow. If you're going to, you can't say everything, so you have to say this. We believe that those are the things. We believe that, basically, a summary of the gospel. God, the Holy Spirit, works with His Word in the heart. Are you have principles? Are biblical truths the Holy Spirit uses to do His work in people? The Holy Spirit, biblical truths the Holy Spirit uses to do His work in people. So y'all see the tree over here. Can I see the tree? Why do y'all think it's, why do y'all think it's the trunk? You have the roots. Why, do you, why is it the trunk? Let's talk about a tree for a second. Principles. Why do you think they made up the trunk of the tree? Or like the body of the tree. There's all the heavy lifting. It's like it's holding everything. It's like literally the body. It's everything. And so, like this is what I, this brings back so much clarity and simplicity in my ministry because I'm thinking like you have you're being flooded with like you need to talk to your students about this. You need to talk to your students about this. You got this, 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 and there's just a blizzard of different things. This is the lens. This is, the, this is what we're doing with students all the time because we believe that this is how people change. Now, enough about the intro of what a, what a principle is. Let's just take each principle um, one by one. Principle number one. Scripture. 
I think it's it's just fascinating and confusing. I mean, I think it's fascinating and beautiful and confusing that they use scripture here, they use scripture here, and they use scripture here. So it's like it's confusing to like, okay, which one it is? That confused me. But then like now, but then on the other side of it, like, why do you think they do that? It's all scripture. Like, why do they keep using scripture? Why do they use scripture in literally every part of the tree? Is because scripture is both the the thing that's underneath the tree. It's literally a presupposition. It's our most basic presupposition about the Word of God. It's the principle that we use in people's lives, and we want to see Christians grow in their understanding of the Word and how it applies to all of life. The Holy Spirit uses Scripture to bring fruit. The seed and the sowers. The seed. The, he goes out and he is sowing his seed. In Matthew chapter thirteen, other places that parable. The four soils. And it's a seed. Scripture is a... Jesus, like, the Word of God is like a seed that goes out and think about a seed for a second. Like, this is super encouraging me when I think about this as a principle because I'm going to go open the Bible on campus tonight at 8 o'clock to a bunch of people who are way smarter than me. Students are. Like, way. And I'm going to open this old book and I'm going to read out of it and then I'm going to tell them that it's the most important thing that I can possibly hear. And Jesus compares it to a seed. Now think about a seed. A seed of corn is one one hundredth of an ounce. It's almost not a thing. Right? And it, it exists in a state of quiescence. Big word. It means it looks like it's dead, but it's not. It's resting. It's asleep. Until it falls into the ground and it germinates and it produces corn, which is like as tall as a basketball ball. And if you drive through Middle America during the summer, you see oceans of corn and stalks of corn that are as tall as basketballs. And so why do we wonder why Jesus uses a seed to be the thing that he compares to Scripture? In other words, it always looks weak. It just looks weak. You can't make it look cool on the front end. He's got his chosen for it to look weak and to look silly in the eyes of men, and that's what we're doing. So, like, Scripture is weak and powerful. We use the Bible, literally, physically, the Bible in ministry, in our preaching, our teaching, in our Bible studies, our large groups, our small groups, our one-on-ones, getting the Bible into the hands of kids. Because that is what changes them. And by Scripture, we mean truths about Scripture. It's nature and truth. We teach Scripture's authority, and by the way, all of this that I'm, like, basically everything's from either the Aria Handbook or Jeremy Jones, who is a genius. And yes, I hope Jeremy's listening to this. We teach Scripture's authority, clarity, sufficiency, inerrancy, which means its importance. Right? Its trustworthiness. The necessity of the, for it for the Christian life. The centrality of the Bible for the church. The centrality of it in the Christian life. By Scripture, we mean the main truths of Scripture. Truths about Scripture and the truths of Scripture concerning God, human, 
humans, Christ, redemption, the church, creation. Are you doing this? And our youth ministry, tell me what the temptation is when it comes to the Bible in, in, in generally speaking in youth ministry. Talk to me about that for a second. When I was growing up, it was trying to, it, it was like, how do I make the Bible cool? Another thing really 90s. Right? How do we make it cool? Like, what is, what is some of the temptation for you to not use scripture? This one's Yes, no. Not to use all of Scripture. Okay, yeah. <laughs> just, just certain parts of Scripture? Yeah. What else? Yeah, John. Use as little as little of it as possible. Like it's similar to no, but even like the parts that you should use, you know, don't preach a whole passage, maybe just preach a verse or two. Right. Just very, you know, John 3.16, just preach like John 3.16. Just real basic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so rich and so good John 3.16 is, but just sort of like you don't want to offend anyone. What else? They've heard it all before they need something new. Yeah. You have to yeah. kids who like mystique and the temptation is oh, they need something different. Yeah, they need something different. Right. Oh my gosh. Oh. Yes, they need something different than literally the Word of God. <laughs> this is boring. But that's what they feel like. This is boring. I've heard this before. And I was like, you know God's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And all this, So, you're never going to get to the end of Him, right? Okay. That was really... I just That kind of like ticked me off a little bit. Like a little, I kind of got bowed up a little bit on that. Thanks for doing that, man. Um, using the Bible in one-on-one, small group, large group... Okay. It just means, are you making the Bible part of all the avenues of ministry, large group, small group, one-on-one? That doesn't mean that you bring the Bible every time you do a one-on-one. But is it kind of like, are you using Scripture? Are you using Scripture when you counsel people? Are you are y'all doing Bible studies? Are people getting together and talking about Scripture? Are you teaching those things? You're just This principle is super, 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 super important. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. John Stone, the great John Stone. Y'all have already heard John Stone, okay? He's an RYM legend, an RUF guy. Listen to what he said. Stone's question. John Stone's question. Cults, Mormons, crazy heretics use the Bible too. Dead churches do expository preaching every week. What makes your ministry different than that of the Mormons? (laughs) They all use Scripture too. Here's what he said. They're not preaching Christ from Scripture. That's the difference. So it's just a temptation like, I'll go back to this. Are you preaching Christ with Scripture? You're using, like Noah, like you said, all of Scripture, but it's come back to Christ. Well, why would we do that? Well, Christ, how Christ told us to read the Bible. Go read the early sermons in Acts. They're the most Christocentric, dripping up every page about Jesus Christ. How did they learn how to preach like that? Jesus spent 40 days with them after His resurrection. That was crash course seminary stuff, guys. Here's like, when you read the Bible... When you preach the Bible, you tell me, guys, here's the deal. Genesis to Malachi. Why? That's what it's about. So the difference between people use the Bible all the time, but if you're not preaching Christ, preach Christ. And his gospel will do the work in us and in your students over time. Because like that's the thing about seed. You just you throw it in, you have no idea when it's going to grow or how it's going to grow. Now. 
Second principle. Any questions about Scripture? Thoughts? Like, it's kind of a no-brainer, but like, it also frees you from having to be like this creative, super, dynamo, cool person because your charisma is not producing goals. Isn't that free? Business. Scripture. To me, that makes our job a lot clearer. Second, justification. The Holy Spirit uses justification as presented in Scripture to bring fruit. Christ's work for us that reconciles us to God. I mean, I don't even know how to even... This is just... How do I even say... Justification... The doctrine of justification... How am I guilty, broken, shameful, messed up? Right this very second, 327, January the 29th, with 35, 36, 37 seconds on the clock. How am I perfect in the eyes of the great I am? I am right now eternally perfect. I can approach the throne of grace with confidence. That is, they used to have to slaughter like goats and oxen and all this stuff. Go read Exodus. There's so much fat being thrown around with these different animals and blood being sprinkled and blood touching Aaron's ear and all this stuff that is so outrageous over and over and over and over and over again in order to get into the presence of God. And then like one day you get into the, the, the presence of God. How am I able, with my jacked up idiot Arkansas self, with all of my shame and all of my insecurities, walk right into the very Holy of Holies and have access of the second person of the Trinity? Justified. Right now. Completely. Totally. Forever. Right now. Do I feel like it? Not very often. But I am. That's justification. You got all these all your students and you too, you have all these voices accusing you. You're not. Come on. You gotta numb those voices, all these different things. Here, here's it. You want to really get where not just your students, where human beings are. We live constantly, if we're really living, constantly afraid that we're not enough for God. And we are enough for God. We are as enough for God as the second person of the Trinity forever and ever again. That is the silver bullet that you put that into the head of every single accusation. Boom. Not you. Not how good you are. Not your record. None of those things. Jesus! It's the most wonderful thing ever. Here's why. I work on a campus with students that have institutionalized and their parents have paid for and they have obsessed over self-justification. And they're dang good at it. Like they're unbelievable at self-justification. Not only are they 
brilliant. They're beautiful. And not only are many of them beautiful, they're loaded. They all come from the mountain brooks and the highland parks. Most a lot of my students from. Why in the world would they need anything? Why in the world would they possibly need anything? And then I get these little moments and I call them windows into their soul, windows into their humanity when someone breaks up for them, or they OD, or they can't stop cutting themselves, or they can't stop their eating disorder, or they can't stop looking at pornography, or they want to jump off a parking deck. And I get those little moments where you get to talk about what does it mean to be made right eternally by the Creator. If justification doesn't fire you up, check yourself. Like, why the heck not? I'm serious. Why not? <laughs> because, it, let, let's talk. And you don't have to be a, a, an emotional four on the Enneagram like me to care about justification. <laughs> Here's why. <clears throat> your conscience accuses you too. And you have a past too. And you're scared of your students and especially hurt their parents too. And so when you walk into, what rooms do you walk in that you're afraid to walk into? The doctrine of justification leads to adoption. It leads to eternal security that you have in present tense, the very righteousness clothed in Jesus Christ forever and ever. You can walk into any room resting in Jesus. Your sin, your, your very sin, your guilt, and your shame is sinking you down into the eternal presence of justification by I just want to like take that moment to literally like fire hose you with justification. Because I, here's what it need, it needs to be in there. Over and over and over again. What come on, this is what Luther. That crazy dude. <laughs> Guys, look. In the Middle Ages, you didn't take on the Pope unless you your butt was justified. You know what I mean? He took on the Pope because he was like, bring it. Like, I'm justified, bruh. Seriously. Why was he so bold? In ways that were even irresponsible. He would say things like sin boldly. Wow. Chop on the toes, man. Why would he say stuff like that? Wait, was he, a, was he an antinomian? No. He just knew he didn't have to be afraid of sinning all the time because he was justified. That's what leads to holiness. Antinomianism is a misunderstanding of justification. It's a nerf ball. Justification. It is so wonderful. It is so beautiful. When I think about it, the fact that I am eternally righteous in Jesus Christ simply by trusting. And what is, and here's what you tell your students. Then they go like, well, by faith alone, what is faith? They all think faith is work. So do you. Faith is something I do. No, no, no. Faith, as Luther says, is the ground receiving of water. The rain. Faith it's just needing Jesus. I'll say that again. Faith is just needing Jesus. And resting on Him. And so your students, whether they're valedictorian, whether they're cool, whether they're rich, whether they're uncool, whether their parents are divorced, all those different things, by you listening to them, you're listening. The Lord wants to bring the doctrine of justification into their mirror, into their darkest minds. He does. That's what He wants to do. Do you realize you talk about clarity when you think about your ministry? I don't know what you're talking about. Talk about that. 
Do you ever listen to people? Because that's what they need to hear. They need your justification. There's so many things we can say about that. Like, is guilt passe? Right? Think about this for a second. In the late modern world, is the, the concept of guilt, of objective guilt, is that sort of like, or even, a, I heard someone call it, uh, existential guilt, is so like, so modern, right? We're so postmodern now, right? The idea of existential guilt. Like, maybe philosophically, socially, the idea of existential guilt is kind of like so dumb, right? It's hard to even traffic in that. But talk to someone who's struggling with this. They're not questioning whether it's existential guilt or this. You know what they're doing? They can't stop looking at the phones. They can't stop obsessing over what they're doing in their performance. Why? It's guilt. A lot of that's guilt. A lot of that's guilt. And so one of the ways you can do is, like, how do you talk about justification? Find out how guilt is manifesting itself, because it is. It's a shapeshifter. Find out how guilt is manifesting itself, and then drive justification home. This, the doctrine of justification, the reason I have so many ways to talk about it and think about it all the time is because I spend so much time with Jesus thanking him for it. Like, and I don't, please don't hear me saying that, because, like, look how good a Christian rich he is. No, I'm doing this because he's such a bad Christian. And how messed up I know I am. The doctrine of justification is to adore Jesus. Adore Jesus. That's what's changed me. It's why I'm sitting here in front of y'all. It's why I'm up here talking to y'all. Okay. Principle three. Sanctification. Sanctification. Christ's work in us that renovates us. I love the word renovation for sanctification. Isn't that a good way of talking about it? Why is renovation a good word for sanctification? Because when you renovate a house, you don't blow up the house. You take what it was originally meant to be and make it new. Yeah, it's including Genesis 1 in understanding sanctification. Not worth the all you start with Genesis 3. See, if you start with Genesis 3 and you don't do the creation, you'll just think, I'm a worm, I'm a bad person. Well, actually, you do antinomianism or like cruel moralistic Pharisees. Either way, you're both dead as dormant. But if you start with Genesis 1 and you think about renovation, the world is enchanting. It is wild gorgeous. And we are the crown jewels of creation. Made in Imago Day. And we are being renovated as vice regents over this new creation. Renovated. We're dying this old, false, <coughs> shadow self. We're living new, true lives. And so everything that's good and true and beautiful, we're living out of that. So sanctification is part of what's happening in the entire cosmos. A lot of times, sanctification is taught, and it is so micro, and it is so shrunk down, that it's all about what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. That's important. But if you take it out of the micro and this, the narcissistic belly gazing, uh, belly button gazing, navel gazing, when you take it out of that and you put it in the macro of what God's doing, then your sanctification becomes filled, charged with life. Sin becomes cancer. You see what I mean by that? Sin becomes cancer. It becomes cancer in your life. It becomes a cancer that you love and that you hate. 
But if it becomes cancer and you want to wage war against cancer, full faith responses to Jesus Christ in process and pursuit of sanctification and growing more like Jesus. Y'all, sanctification, a great definition of sanctification is this. It's growing to look like Jesus. Like Dallas Lord put it this way. Christian growth for discipleship is, is you becoming like Jesus and Jesus for you. So like you being transformed with the character of Jesus, if Jesus had your personality, it was you walking in your skin. You don't become someone non-you, you become authentic with you. It's a Christ-like you. It's a, here's the thing, it's man fully alive. Justification is by faith alone in Christ. Sanctification is also by faith in Christ. Without faith it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.5 The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Galatians 2.20 this, this ongoing faith continues and depends and relies on Christ alone for justification and for sanctification. You ever seen the cross chart? Y'all use the cross chart? Okay, use the cross chart. The cross chart is this. Really simple explanation of the cross chart is God's holiness, your sinfulness, the closer you grow in your relationship with Jesus, the more you see your need and your brokenness. God's holiness becomes more and more wonderful, greater and greater, and the gap actually gets. The, the more you grow as a Christian, this is, I ask the Lord that I might grow John Newton. The more you grow as a Christian, the more messed up you see yourself to be. You see your motives and stuff. Like, I see my, I'm overwhelmed sometimes by how I'm just, just sick, a wretched man that I am. What's happening is your heart, I should have a chart, your heart grows for Jesus. Because Jesus becomes this wonderful, great Savior. So at the end of your life, like John Newton, I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. At the end of his life, one of the last things he said. One of the last things. So growth and sanctification is a growth and a hatred of sin and an adoring of Jesus Christ. Teaching that sanctification, that God uses means in sanctification. Okay? So God uses means. How do we grow in Jesus? Through the Word. Go back to Scripture. Through the sacrament. Baptism. Lord's Supper. That's why I talk about the regular uh, observance of the Lord's Supper. Uh, so meditating on the Word, studying the Word, reading the Word, preaching the Word, eating the Word, prayer, fellowship. So here's the thing. God gives us means of grace to experience and to grow. So He doesn't just leave us out there willy-nilly. So not only are we teaching sanctification as a beautiful renovation, but we're telling that the means of sanctification, that the way that... They aren't ways of earning justification. They're ways to just grow deeper in our love for Jesus. We grow more like Christ. So we begin to use those means to grow in sanctification. Alright. Glorification. Why do you think why do you think they put glorification on here? What is glorification? Someone tell me. Since R-Y-M uses it and R-E-F doesn't. We talk about glorification, but it's just not on the tree. Don't get me started. So why is glorification? What is glorification? 
That's when the renovation is complete. So there's a glorification that is going to extend, that's going to happen at the end of all things, Revelation 21 20, a new heavens and a new earth. That's why Genesis 1 is so important. Genesis 1 2. A new heavens, new earth, the material world matters. Material things matter. So, so this is how we talk to people about hope. Glorification is a lot to do with how we talk to people about vocation, calling. In other words, ruling and subduing. Their, life, their work in the kingdom. The kingdom has come in Jesus Christ, and the kingdom is expanding. And so the work we're doing, every good endeavor is pointing towards glorification. So every time we do something that good, true, and beautiful, it's someone to give someone a cup of coffee, or heal someone's body, or preach the gospel, anytime we push back the darkness, we kick the darkness to the leaves, both daylight, as Vanilla said, what we're doing is we're proclaiming the glorification that Jesus Christ is going to bring ultimately one day. This is so important for our students. Because it's not, I'm just this soul that is going to go up into heaven and then the body is going to disappear. Many of our churches are functionally not saying. There's no concept of the material world. But why did God become a body? He took on a body. He became a man. Because he's going to redeem the whole thing. He sunk down below everything. detonates everything in life. That's the location. Well, we call location the forgotten implication. Okay, y'all, this is the question I want to have for you. That's, I love, we can talk about that. That's super exciting. You're going to go back at the end of this week. How are y'all going to treat the main thing? Because that's the main thing. According to RYM, that's the main thing. How do you keep these? Do you see the, 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 the poetry of this? How beautiful and exquisitely sublime and simple that is? This is the main thing. This is RUF. This is RYM. This is gospel ministry. Yes? I don't know if that was a total question or not. It wasn't. No, it was. That's <laughs> good. Um, I think just hearing this, like, um, becoming an active, a truly active participant in that, I think it's something I want to take back um, and put my ministry. Yeah, so, like, you're taking yourself through this. This is you are. That's really our goal. Like we're take, if you're going to boil this whole thing down to why we teach all the philosophy of ministry, is how do we keep the gospel the center of our ministries? Why are they? Why is it often not the center of our ministry? What happens to us? I forget every day these things matter, and I start trying to do it all myself. Yeah. Like every day. I do too. 
And you just start doing it. It's like, and, and the way we drew the tree, the way the tree is the way it is, is we're saying that just nothing grows from that. And so over time, and you can ask people like Scotty and others that have been doing ministry a long time, the f- fruit just comes by getting the gospel in front of people because it's been in front of you. And so, yeah, you just start realizing like nothing else works. And when I start feeling anxious, when I start feeling anxious about ministry, when I start freaking out about moments, it's normally because I'm not paying attention to the gospel. Like, I, I have my mind on something else. And this is a moment to repent and then to, to, to be back in the gospel. I, I need to say this. So the, this is a lot of what students do. This is what I do. So, I get convicted of sin. I start feeling guilt. Something passed. I start feeling this thing. And what I do is, I say, I need to feel really bad about this for a period of time. And I say, I don't know. I don't know how long. This is going to be a period of time. And so what I do is I start saying, and I I really sit in that. It's like I remember Joe Novison said, if you do this, I can sin. I can go like... Right? How shocked we are. And I often add a step to repentance. And your students do this all the time. They add a step to repentance. I'm not saying you don't warn over your sin, hate your sin, struggle with your sin. I'm saying we stay at this place that keeps us from intimacy with Jesus. And so we kind of go like this. We go (coughs) step A, guilt over sin, Step A, one, hate myself. And some traditions are like, I am a worm, I'm a lowly worm, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll stay here. We actually, we're actually encouraging people to loathe and abhor themselves. Mm-hmm. So they stay at step A, one. People get frozen to A, one. And so what Jesus is, this gospel, when we teach this, skip that step. Like, how do you feel? I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know. Do I feel bad about it? No, I don't, probably not. I probably haven't felt bad about this enough. Oh, well. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> do you know that this actually makes me sin more? Step A, one, is one way to get to crazy judgment. Right? But a son, a son goes right to the father and says, here I am. Here I am. Here's all of it. Here's, you know more than I know. That's the glory of this. So when you're listening to your students and listening to yourself, notice how you do that. Because eventually you have to numb step A1 because it's not, it's not sustainable. Repentance is Jesus. Repentance is sin, Jesus. That's what it is. And so when you're doing this, listen to the subtle ways that people say it. Because we can get people can stay stuck for years in that kind of pattern. For years in that. Maybe you're stuck in that pattern right now. And you're like, can I skip? Can I stop skipping that step? You know, of course, throw embrace with confidence. Now look at skip the step, you start skipping <clears throat> steps. Skip it. You'll skip. It's joy. That's worship. The relief. Now that's what the principles are. The principles are not supposed to be observed as much as they are to be experienced. 
Questions before we break? We've got 10 minutes. Yeah. I actually wanted to go back and answer your question as far as how maybe those the main things. The main thing. Yep. Um, I just was thinking about what's Mr. Shorter Catechism, the benefits of Christ are these things. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, get, we learn about Christ in Scripture, we learn about these things in Scripture, but then justification, sanctification, adoption, glorification, those are the benefits of being in Christ. And so if Christ is at the center, then these things will just yeah. naturally be there. Well, and, and that's a great point. And so one of the things, all models are limited, so this is a limited model. One of the things that's, is union with Christ. Yeah. And so it's just sort of, I think it's just sort of assumed. Union with Christ is, yeah. But that, that's it. The benefits of just having Jesus. It's Jesus. Well said. Another, another thought, comment, question, yeah. This is so hard to find community. And I'd also say it's 
quantity, it's quality, not quantity. So if you have like one or two people that you can talk to on the phone, you can, if you have, and I think this is where counselors, spiritual directors, it's a community, they're trying to find that. It's just someone you're in regular contact that sees you and doesn't go away. Uh, and it's really hard, and I would say, pray for it. Pray for that community. It's really hard to find it. Um, but it exists, and it may be, it may be, I think you'd be open to the fact that it may not look anything like what we expect it to look like. It will often come from someone who's 40 years older than you are. It often will come from people, it, 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 I, I, I have a lady I see, I'll talk to her tomorrow at 9. Her name's Linda Elliott, I've known her for 20 years, she's 80 years old, she's a little spitfire from Laura Arkansas, I talk to her every single Thursday morning. And I, if you look at the two of us together, you're like, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> But she's like a, she's like my mother, and so like being open to the body of Christ, just like I, if we, I think we need to admit, like open it up to like I don't know if I'd hang out with that person, but like that the person that you sort of normally hang out with may not be the person that you need to bear your soul with, right? So there's I think age, those kind of things are huge, John. Other questions, thoughts, comments? Yes. Could you, uh, we do have a student. So many of my students like live in 1A, right? And that's why the presupposition of the learning process is so important. So it's more than just a cognitive, it's not more than just a concept to them, way more than just a concept. This is a well-worn neural pathway for them. This, they're getting something from this, right? And so patience and reminding them, being with them, and I think like just bringing them in bring them into the gospel, things like Lectio, showing them, like taking them through the gospel and just exposing them to Jesus and how Jesus dealt with people that were broken, really, really broken. Going to John 8, and going to those places, like seeing over and over and over again, the Spirit will use that to, to, to let their hearts be warmed by the reality of Jesus. And then you just be patient with walking long term. And don't be frustrated when they don't quote, get it. It's, they get it, Conceptually, but it just—it's it's hard for us to believe God wants us. Just takes a long time. Like I don't know—I I, I don't believe this happened this evening. So it's just this up and down kind of thing. But He's always with us. But our experience of it changes. So I say, stay with it. Send text. Like one of the things I've started doing with one student in particular, who really struggles with that, this because he's a good guy, right? He's a good guy. But like when he messes up, man, he full tilt boogie on himself, right? And so he's been doing that for so long. What I'll, what I'll do sometimes is just sing a quote that I like for a passage and say, love you, pray for you. And so just that kind of like, and it doesn't have to be profound, just like you're just getting in front of it, just let the Lord use the Lord. That's, that's what you're saying, trenches, man. That's it. It's kind of like that's what ministry is. Remember, we go up and once said like, 99% of your problems are people misunderstand the difference between justification and sanctification. Period. <laughs> That's what he said. That's like 99% of the problems are called pastoral ministry. They're based on justification or sanctification. It's right. Now there's one more. 
that, that accent was free. You know, you know, <laughs> Any other? Okay, thank you all so much. I love talking about the principles you can clearly see uh, because I need the principles. I just say they're, and so I pray that the Lord would just drop them so deep in us. Just the simplicity and the love of Jesus. He loves us, y'all. Uh, and that y'all would, honestly, the big takeaway is that y'all would just go with a deeper understanding of how much God loves you. Let's pray. Lord, you have begun to work in us because you've wanted to. And you want to be with us. And you will be with us because you always get what you want. And our sin's not an obstacle. So forgive us for making more of our sin and idolizing our brokenness. So that we just have Jesus. We rest on Jesus. Lord, I pray that you bless the rest of these sessions that they would be edifying, build them up, help them just see different ways that you want to use them with the gospel. Thank you for it. You can never come up with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.